This is GamesAtWork.biz, your weekly podcast about gaming, technology, and play. Your hosts are Michael Martin, Andy Piper, and Michael Rowe. The thoughts and opinions on this podcast are those of the hosts and guests alone and are not the opinions of any organization which they have been, are, or may be affiliated with. This is episode 452, Before and After. Good evening, good afternoon, Michael Rowe here, and this is a very special episode of GamesAtWork.biz. My co-hosts are out and about doing important things, and I decided to do a episode all about what it's like before the Vision Pro and after the Vision Pro. We've talked about it on the show recently that I was getting one. I am picking it up today, and I decided what would make sense is kind of give a little bit of perspective of what am I expecting Go pick it up, come back, play with it, and what did I get out of it? So let me start by talking a little bit about my history of usage of Mac products. Uh, I'm not a longtime Mac user other than in college, I actually ran a Mac lab when they first started introducing the Macintosh at our, at our campus. And we had a network of, I want to say it was like 20 Macintosh SEs uh, using Apple Talk. And the whole idea was students working on their papers would come in and we had desktop publishing software and an Apple laser printer, or I guess it was called a laser writer. And I managed that. And all I remember from those days, other than the black and white screens, was the little cherry bomb that would show up all the time, which was so helpful. Didn't tell you really what was going on. And the answer was, turn it off turn it back on again. After that, it was almost 20 years before I bought my first Mac product. And it was the iPod. I guess that's the drug of choice that most people who got into the Apple ecosystem. After using the iPod for, gosh, I want to say it was a couple of years, uh, I ended up literally on a whim buying a 27-inch iMac. And it was unbelievable. I had played a little bit with uh, creating a Hackintosh before that, just because I was experimenting with technology. And uh, when I got the iMac, I ended up being in a situation where 90% of my work was on Windows machines. And then I would do some fun stuff, podcasting, playing games, um, consuming media on the iMac. Over time, when the phone came out, the iPhone, I bought the very first one, paid way too much for it, and almost immediately got into the situation where I was like, why did I get rid of my Trio? Because my Trio was a 3G phone, and the iPhone was not. So as soon as the 3GS came out, I got the 3GS, and every other year since then, I've upgraded my iPhone. Uh, I ended up really getting into Apple Care because my iMac literally a month before it was out of Apple Care had a problem and I took it to the Mac store and they basically said, well, you know, we don't make this model anymore. You have a motherboard problem. Uh, I hope you don't mind, but we want to replace your entire machine. And so I got a brand new Mac, upgraded everything. Uh, and I was like, hmm, this is kind of a neat way for a company to deal with their customers. I 
started writing my first app for the iPhone about a year after they came out. Sorry, about a year after the store came out. And I use it as a method of keeping me current on interesting technology. And I don't get to really program in my day job anymore. So I created a little simple app that I had been joking about for years with friends called Wasted Time. And so what Wasted Time does is it calculates the cost of meetings starting late. Nothing really fancy. It does a couple of timers. Over the years, I've added in notes. I took notes out. I added in tweets. I've taken tweets out. I've added in widgets. And when the iPad came out, I used it as a method of learning how to handle Apple's multiple screen sizes. So this was all in Objective-C. And before you actually could just dynamically resize things. So that was fun. Then Apple released Swift, and I decided, hey, this is great. I'm going to rewrite the entire application in Swift. Uh, And then I can't remember if Swift came out before or after the watch, but I really wanted to have a launch app on the watch. I missed it for the iPad, and I just didn't grok the watch at first. It took me, I think, over a year before I had a watch app version of Wasted Time Ready. But I got it, missed the launch app. Apple TV, rewrote my app for that. Uh, Again, totally different kind of design mentality there. But finally got it done, have that out there. And I've always wanted to get an app ready for launch. And we'll get to that in a second. Uh, But I ended up getting the watch, love the watch, love the iPad, uh, great for traveling, etc. So I've been really excited for the Vision Pro. And I've been to WWDC a couple of times, 2018, 2019, had planned 2020, and of course that was killed with COVID. And given the current experience at WWDC being mostly virtual, haven't really gone since. I take a week off and I do WWDC at home just to learn all the new stuff. So in 2019, I think it was, 2018, I think is when they introduced Reality Kit. 2019, they started giving you really good deep dives on how to write three-dimensional apps for AR Kit. Um, and so you could kind of see the writing on the wall of things that were coming and were going to be released with this rumored headset. So as soon as they announced in June of last year, the Vision Pro was going to be available I immediately sat down and tried to figure out how can I rewrite Wasted Time to be a true native Vision Pro app. Now, it doesn't need to be three-dimensional, but it does need to be native. So it's not an iPad app running on the Vision Pro. I had that working literally within a day. Amazing. So all the work done in advance around... Swift, Swift UI, adopting modern frameworks that Apple's putting out allowed me to very quickly create a native Vision Pro app. I've got ideas of possibly making it spatial, but haven't done that yet. And I didn't want to do that until I got my hands on a Vision Pro. So they made the announcement. They then made the date available when you could buy it. I ordered Sight Unseen, obviously. I've been playing around with the emulator and... I had my app ready for day one launch. Well, yesterday was day one. And it was such a nice surprise that I actually got an email 
from the head of VP Developer Relations uh, congratulating me on having a launch app. It's such a little trivial thing for Apple to do, but as a developer, an indie developer, if you want to call me that, that was just really rewarding. And I think back of all the things that I do in my day job where I also work with other developers, I focus on uh, API management and, and partner ecosystem development activities. It was so nice to see that personal touch, even though I'm sure it was a form letter. Anyway, having said all that, uh, let's talk a little bit about my current development environment. And today, when I work on my app, I have a MacBook Pro and an external 4K monitor. Uh, I connect my devices either wirelessly or through a cable. I do a lot of local builds and, and deploy them on the devices to test them out. And I've not had a chance to do that with the Vision Pro because the only option was the emulator. So last year, no, oh, actually more than that. So I guess it was 2022 WWDC. Apple introduced Xcode Cloud. And with Xcode Cloud, I was able to set up a workflow to automatically build my environment or my application and deploy it to test flight for people to test. Again, can't do that with the Vision Pro because there was no Vision Pro. Uh, so my wasted time app is actually not in Xcode Cloud right now. My card tracking app that I'm working on, and I have been working on for so many years, it's ridiculous. Uh, that automatically deploys to not only myself, not only my own devices, but I've got a very small group of testers uh, that it automatically deploys a test flight. And if their machines are set up correctly, whether it's Mac or iOS, it will deploy to their devices. So with the Vision Pro, I will need to look at how to set up an appropriate workflow to do that. But again, development environment, Mac, bunch of cables, external monitor. And what I'm hoping to be able to do, because currently all I've been able to do is test with the simulator, is to A, deploy to the, heads, uh, to the headset, the Vision Pro, but also to work with the Vision Pro on, have my laptop mirrored in the Vision Pro so I can have Xcode and actually test on device as I was doing with the uh, phone, the watch, etc. cetera. Uh, and the reason I wanna do this is, I, I've heard people talking about they want to do their development work and test on the device, but it's like, put on the headset, take off the headset, code some more, put on the headset, take off the headset. I don't wanna do that. I want to do it all in the device. And so I'm going to try that tonight just to do one build and test it to the device once I pick up the device. The second thing that I'm kind of looking forward to see how it works is media consumption and editing the podcast. I've been using Ferrite for a couple of years now. It's an iPad app. iPad apps can run natively on the Vision Pro if the developer allows it. We'll see if Ferrite allows that. And if so, I'm looking forward to doing that because right now I do use an Apple Pencil. I use Ferrite to edit the podcast. And prior to that, I used Logic. Prior to that, I used GarageBand. And each environment has its own pluses and minuses. 
But I really think the guys at Fairrite have developed an editor that is perfect for podcasts. I'm able to do an edit of our podcast pretty much in the amount of time it takes to listen to the show twice. You say, that seems like a long time. Well, if you've ever used any full-blown audio editing suite, the complexity, the rendering, etc., means you're kind of at least two and a half times the length of the episode, and then you want to listen to the episode again just to make sure that your mix is okay. So I'm hoping that this will reduce the time that I have to spend working on the podcast, and if the guys at Fairlight are listening, release a Vision Pro version. On media consumption, I'm really looking forward to re-watching some movies that we have in our library in 3D. I remember when the first Avatar came out, going to the theater, and it was the first time that I watched a 3D movie in a theater that actually felt immersive. And this is because James Cameron actually developed the movie with 3D in mind. If you remember when it came out, 3D was the hype at the time. Everything was going to be 3D, and then it kind of tapered off because most studios would render their movie in 3D after the fact using some kind of post-processing, and it looked fake. If you've ever watched SCTV, Second City Television, uh, there used to be a skit called Count Floyd's 3D House of Beef, and it was always the in 3D where they would you know, take something and kind of shove it at the camera and back and back at the camera and back. And it was silly. And most 3D movies I've seen kind of have that same effect, right? They're going for the appearance of 3D, but without thinking of the movie as a 3D space. And the first Amazon in the theater was amazing. I remember there's a scene when all the little plants are like dropping their spawn or whatever it is, and it's floating around you. And in the theater, it literally felt you were in the middle of that, which was amazing. And so I know that James Cameron has released Avatar Way of Water in 3D for the Vision Pro. We own it, so I'm expecting to look at that. I'll look at the original one, see if it gives me that same experience that we had in the theater when I watched it. So I'm really excited about that. I'm also excited to see how well the audio is without putting things in my ears. I tend to live in my AirPod Pros. I use AirPod Max when editing the podcast or if I really need to focus because they do a good job blocking out the world. But I also like to hear what the heck's going on around me. So uh, I'm looking to looking forward to see how the audio is without putting something in my ears. And finally, I've spent the last couple of days watching all the videos and reviews and unboxings and stuff that I can find. And I must say, there are certain individuals that I have a lot of respect for on their technological uh, podcasts who are either just completely over the top on the immersive part or are so jaded because they've had bad experiences with other headsets that I'm a little bit questioning the value of their reviews to date. The one that I was most impressed was uh, Marcus did one, and he did three videos. An unboxing, I don't care about that. Uh, I watched it, but whatever. And then he did his review, fine review. 
But he did a 45-minute long video, I think it was, of the experience of using the Vision Pro. And that was the most interesting and valuable to me. It wasn't judgmental. He left that for his review, and I'll let you watch the reviews to figure that out or wait to the second half of this show when I'll come back and tell you what I think of it after just a few hours of using it. Uh, but I felt the using video was a really, really good job of kind of just explaining how to get started, what to expect, and not putting forth any bias. The second video that I watched that I want to talk about just ever so briefly, um, I'm a subscriber to Club Twit. Uh, I've met many of the people from the Twit network, uh, either at Macworld years ago, um, during WWDC, I went to a recording, etc. And they did an unboxing and first impressions video. It was about two hours long. And I was very disappointed in this video. Um, I thought Micah, who was the main host of it, uh, did a good job of trying to use it. But he had people around talking to him and asking questions the whole time. And because of that, I don't think he actually spent the time to focus on what he was experiencing. He was reacting to the people around him. I thought that was inappropriate. The second thing is uh, Leo Laporte, who, again, I've met multiple times. I have a lot of respect for. He's the one I think is the most jaded. He... It almost looked like he was trying to use it in a way of someone who purposely did not want to use it. And he said for weeks now that he was not impressed, sight unseen, and he didn't expect to be impressed, sight unseen. He didn't understand why the product existed. And he did not slow down and take his time to figure out how to use it. And he purposely seemed to make mistakes. Now, I'm okay with that. It was entertaining at one level, but I think it did disservice to the people who wanted to see a initial experience usage of it. Again, they were talking to each other, they were interrupting each other, um, and then he just had this kind of a pre-bias against the device. Now, in all fairness, I think that Micah has committed to doing a deep dive on it over the next week and a half and, and providing a real review afterwards. And I'm looking forward to that because I think it'll be um, well thought through and objective. But one of the key things that I've learned across all these different videos is the very different way you need to interact. And that is, and if you've not listened to anything or seen anything before this, I doubt this will come as a surprise, but whatever. The device is attention-focused. What I mean by that is the UI is based on where you look. So unless you attach an external keyboard and mouse or trackpad, your eye is the pointer. And the pointer enables various UI elements and you have to focus long enough for the system to recognize that you're focusing, which is very quick. Um, I think they said the latency on the UI interaction is like eight milliseconds, which is just phenomenal. But you have to focus on it long enough for it to recognize it. Then you have to interact, and it's usually a, a tap gesture, which is your pointer finger and your thumb. Just quickly tap it together, and that selects it. 
So this means you don't move your head around, right? Because you're just focusing, you're moving your eyes. And one of the things I didn't like about the video is they kept moving their heads around and they were showing from the outside, which made it a much worse experience interaction. So I think the most valuable thing people can do will be to do the test in the store, learn how to use the device, and then actually try to use it that way. We all had the same experience, you know, years ago when we first picked up a computer or first picked up an iPad or first picked up an iPhone. You have to learn how to use the device before you can just willy-nilly agree or disagree with the device. So. Uh, I am going to do the in-store pickup today. I'm going to actually try to learn how to use the device. Um, and then when I get home, I'll put my lenses in, set up my device, and do a deeper dive. So I'm really excited right now. I want to try to take all the positives and negatives that everybody has provided online out of the way, not think about them, and actually just focus on my experience and I'll be right back and tell you all about it. Well, I'm back from picking up my Vision Pro and doing a little bit of testing out since getting home. Used it for a little over two hours, maybe two and a half hours. Um, let me start with talking about the experience at the store. The experience at the store was great. Uh, the guy had only reviewed the interactions with people twice before me and over the course of yesterday and today he had only provided new vision pros to four people even though the store was packed so while i was there there were four seats with people doing the trial uh, so evidently a lot of people want to check it out not a lot of people bought it yet at the store near my house um, but it was great he walked me through how to use it uh, the setting up your hands uh, learning how to zoom pinch select provide focus etc um, and of course you could tell when he was reading the script because he's like and take a look at this picture that picture was shot on iphone 15 <laughs> right anyway so all good uh, the nice thing is I was able to go off script with him and jump ahead on things, try other things, etc. Now, they brought out my Vision Pro. I took it home, unboxed it. I didn't do an unboxing video. Um, I started by trying to set it up using my iPhone and it hung. So I restarted and did a manual setup. That was a little bit of frustration, but we'll get to that. Uh, Afterwards, the basic setup was done, which is, you know, setting up your eyes, setting up your hands, logging into your iCloud account. Um, I went to set up my persona. I started in my office upstairs. It was too dark. And that was with all the lights on. So I then went into our master bedroom, which has skylights, and it was still bright outside. Uh, turned on all the lights in there. Still too dark. So I finally went downstairs in our dining room, which did have a different lighting setup, and it finally allowed me to set up my persona. I will share a picture of my persona. I forgot to take it. I'll take it shortly, just so that you can see how it turned out. 
Was it good? Meh. Was it bad? Meh. It's definitely Uncanny Valley situation. And as promised, I did an immediate FaceTime call with my dad, who thought it was cool, but did say it didn't look like me. I don't think it looked like me either, but it is a beta feature. Uh, I obviously couldn't see my eyes on the outside of the Vision Pro because I'm just testing this out by myself. So overall, the Persona, not good, not bad. It was still interesting, especially the fact that it does the full facial expressions. You could see my hands when we were chatting on FaceTime, etc. So I then had purchased a bunch of apps beforehand yesterday, day before, uh, sorry, this morning and yesterday. And I logged into my iCloud account and went into the App Store and didn't download them automatically, which I guess makes sense. Uh, however, when I went into the store on the Vision Pro, I could easily just say, download, 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 download. So um, I'll have a couple of apps that I checked out. Uh, specifically, I tested out Wasted Time. It worked fine. There are a couple of little things that I didn't like. There's a little latency that's showing up. That's on me. I'll have to do some changes in the program. Uh, but positioning on the screen, um, entering the values, doing its basic functionality all worked. I download pCalc. Perfectly fine. Worked like pCalc. Uh, I downloaded a Carrot Weather. The guy in Carrot Weather did some really cool stuff with immersion, right? And I know he's been playing around with that anyway. So that was really cool, especially the weather map, which you could get a full globe and get animation of the weather conditions. Um, tried out a couple of games. Uh, the um, classic board games played Battleship, even though it's not called that. That was really fun. Um, I tried to play Wild Heart. I believe that's what it's called from Apple Arcade. And it kicked off the music, but I could never find the app in my space. So I'll try that again later. Then I tested out some productivity apps. Pages worked like pages. I did not test numbers. I loaded Excel. Uh, that was fine. It took me a while to log into my um, Microsoft account for that. Uh, but I did install the iPad version of 1Password, which simplified a whole bunch of things. And until I enabled um, Optic ID, which I skipped at the initial setup, um, it was a pain because anytime I took the headset off, I would have to re-enter my passcode, etc. Entered Optic ID, fine. Um, I, I then wanted to test out developing. Now, this is one of the use cases I'm really looking forward to. And... I sat in front of my Mac, I connected the Mac, I brought up Xcode, and I went to pair the Vision Pro, and it could not find it. Now, what's interesting is I saw an article earlier this morning that Apple released on the developer site, a $300 adapter to plug into the Vision Pro to allow, I guess, for local development. So that's something I did not get, obviously. I know in the before times, I talked about uh, setting up Xcode cloud workflows. I think I'm going to have to do that for the Vision Pro. The other thing I tried was my card app, uh, 
which is designed for iPad. And I said, deploy, you know, load the iPad version because it's in test flight. And it would not load. It says I need a newer version of Vision OS, which is funny because I'm on the latest version of Vision OS. Uh, so there's evidently some API that I'm using there that's not working yet on Vision OS. It'll be interesting to figure that one out over the next few months. Um, media consumption. I mentioned Avatar in the beginning part. I loaded that up with the Disney app, watched the original app as Avatar. I didn't watch the whole movie, obviously. The 3D is incredible. It's that simple. It It's as good as I remembered it in the theater. Uh, it is better than I've seen in any other environment. And so definitely uh, a high quality media consumption device for that. I also had taken some panoramas with my drone. Those are really cool. It looked like I was standing 100 feet above my house and I could look around the horizon. What was interesting, though, is I also took some globe pictures, right, and where it does a 360, you know, 360 by 360 picture. Um, those were not workable inside of photos on the Vision Pro. It just showed them as a big flat image. So that was disappointing, but that's probably the EXIF data on the image does not correctly identify it as a pano or something else. What was cool is I had taken some panographic pictures years ago at concerts, um, at soccer events, etc. And sitting in those and looking around, it was like I was back in those stadiums. That was really fun. Really enjoyed that. So, the lenses, flawless. It's that simple. They, they have my prescription. I put them in. Um, it just works. No glasses. Everything's fine there. Uh, FaceTime call, we talked about that. Wasted time, we talked about that. Um, so, so, what's my overall impression? I want to say, Wow. But I won't because I had a couple of glitches. When I first went to set up my persona, it locked when it was, it shows a video uh, to describe the process you're about to go through. And then at the end of the video, you're supposed to take off the headset and scan your face, look left, look right, up, down, smile, smile with teeth, raise your eyebrows, etc. About midway through the video, I was like, oh, I don't need the video. I'll just take it off. It killed it. It locked it up. I literally had to pop the power on the on the Vision Pro in order to restart the process. That's one. Two, I mentioned my card app where the API, even though it's a completely valid iPad app for iPad OS, um, current release 17.2 or whatever, um, couldn't run it. Three, uh, I mentioned a couple of arcade games where I couldn't see things. So there's still a couple of little things like that that I'm sure will work out over time. But those keep it from being a total wow experience for experience for me. The other thing that people have been talking about was that 
you're not in AR. It is a video pass-through. And you can kind of see that. And what I mean by that is uh, outside the peripheries of your vision, that gets a little fuzzy. And that's because Apple has talked about that they focus the video right where you're looking. And so that reduces the processing power required for the other areas. Well, that's also the case when you're doing the pass-through video. And so that was a little bit surprising. The second thing um, in that vein was when I was doing the FaceTime call with my dad, I was going to try to show him what I was looking at. I haven't figured out how to do that right. I ended up shooting a video, which I didn't share with him, uh, or taking a picture. So I've got to figure out how to do that. I did what I thought was the right thing, which is you select the FaceTime, uh, and at the bottom you see a little Vision Pro icon, and you select that to share your screen. And what he told me was it basically just locked up and showed the FaceTime example where the screen gets blurry because you're doing something else and not sharing what you're seeing. So... Uh, more to do there. The other aspect of this that I really wanted to think out loud about was kind of all the precursor tech that we've been talking about on gamesatwork.biz for the last few years and how they've shown up. So in 2018 at WWDC, I believe it was 2018, they, they did a lot with ARKit. Um, and 2019, they were showcasing how to build AR kit applications. And one of the really powerful things was the ability to anchor things in space. That comes through so well as something that they were doing for the Vision Pro. Everything you place stays. It's sticky. It's. I started a window and put it on the display, on the display, it's not a display. I, I put it in my office and then I walked into the other room to do some things and started an app over there and the app stayed in my office, the other apps stayed in the other room. So truly spatial from that perspective and that's really caused by the abilities of anchoring that were developed with ARKit. The second thing is the persona. When Memojis were announced and you had the ability to show facial expression and pass that through on the Memoji, that was obviously trying to capture the correct face movements. And those movements are now being captured through cameras at different angles, but that is being used to then mirror your facial expressions correctly on the persona whether that's the face tracking, um, et cetera, or your hands. Third, airplay. One of the things I did, which was really you know, typical, is I was sharing my display of what I was seeing via airplay to my studio, Mac Studio. And then I looked at it and you, the, the video processing is so good that you saw me looking at the video of me looking at the video almost instantaneously 
that's airplay um, the ability when i was using the mac and trying to do some of the programming to to quickly use the mouse sorry trackpad from the mac into the virtual space of the vision pro worked flawlessly so so another technology that they've been working with handoff between all the different devices and then from a developer perspective when you look at what was done with optic id if you wrote an app and instituted the fingerprint ids for check-in or login etc those immediately got the capability to use face id and now use optic id just completely seamless from a developer perspective. Uh, so that was really cool. Once I set that up to be able to use one password, which knows nothing about optical ID, but it just worked. And finally, I think one of the reasons that Apple did the transition to Swift is to cause a mental b- break, right, in how you develop applications. Uh, not the old way with Objective-C, but Swift and that allowed them to kind of shift their architecture and the development model uh, to break things down in a much more independent mod- module's not the right word, I guess, object model. Um, and that object model comes through in all things in the Vision Pro's UI. So overall, I think it was really cool. Definitely has a lot more to come. And I can't wait to see what's going on. And one last thing. So many people that I know who have purchased the Vision Pro bought the second battery. I don't see a need for it. Matter of fact, when I was at the store and talking with the guy, um, I asked him because if you look on the battery pack, you have a USB-C plug, which is how you charge it. And if you're sitting at your desk using the device, and it's really designed for sitting. Um, you're going to plug the battery into USB-C for charging and then the battery into the headset. So you're not going to burn the battery down at all. If you're on a long trip and say you're on a plane and you want to watch a movie, any external USB-C battery charger should work. So from my perspective, if you get two and a half, three hours on this thing, without the extra battery and then you have a battery charger in your in your bag for travel plug it up and just do the trickle charge the whole time and i think you'll have plenty of battery for long flights and watching movies so really happy to have gotten it i can't wait to do more with it i'll capture a couple of screenshots as i put the show notes together for you all tomorrow and i hope you enjoyed this episode at gamesatwork.biz And if you did, reach out, rate us on your favorite podcatcher, follow us on Mastodon, and tell your friends about us. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks. You've been listening to GamesAtWork.biz, the podcast about gaming technology and play. We are part of the Blueberry Podcasting Network, and we'd like to thank the band Random Encounters for their song, Big Blue. You can follow us on Twitter at gamesatwork_biz or at our website at gamesatwork.biz.